Well, thank you, Kendi, and good morning again, everyone. My name is Nathan Nelson. I am the Associate Director for Mission and Outreach here at the church, and it is my great honor to share with you uh, this morning the pulpit, or the table, as it were, uh, with this man by the name of Moses Ndahiro. And Moses is the country director for World Relief Rwanda. For those of you that aren't maybe sure what exactly that means, essentially Moses is a big deal. Uh, He oversees all of the work that World Relief is doing in and through the country in collaboration with government, uh, local churches, uh, also at the denominational level. He collaborates with other NGOs. Uh, There is no shortage of people being impacted through the work that he is tasked with being the visionary for. And so when we go and visit, we're blessed to get to steal a bit of his time, but we know that it is precious. And so we are grateful to have him in our midst here uh, this Sunday and the next couple of days here at Bethany. We're filling your time with lots of things, but would you join me in welcoming Moses? Uh, thank you so much, uh, Nathan. It's a wonderful opportunity to be back and uh, fellowship together. I'm grateful to the leadership of Bethany Community Church that uh, gives me an opportunity to share and be part of uh, the fellowship uh, whenever I come to visit uh, Seattle. Um, bring you greetings from the people of Rwanda, uh, the people of Mosanze. They know I'm here, at least those that we serve, and they send their greetings to you all. I bring also greetings from my colleagues that I serve with uh, that um, are working the different uh, communities that uh, we are part of and uh, in partnership with Bethany uh, Community uh, Church. My wife also sends her greetings and the, uh, the children. I'm blessed with four children. Um, Lucas, who is eight. Leanne, who is six. Lael is four. And then we have a little one, Louis, who is now nine months. So it's a joy to be a father and uh, do that ministry as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Moses. And Moses has been more than just a big deal um, to the many people he impacts in Rwanda. He's been a big deal to me and really has become a dear friend over the last several years, a mentor, uh, and certainly somebody that I look to as an example of a Christian leader that I would love to be just a fraction of someday. So thank you, Moses. Thank you, And thank you. You have been a blessing to me in many ways. This morning, uh, a huge blessing. My laundry, there's something happened, and you loaned me your shirt. (laughs) I didn't even have socks to wear. (laughs) So this is just incredible. The shirt off your your very back. Oh, Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Moses. Well, this morning, they were supposed to give a sermon. Uh, we are continuing a series titled Portraits, Representing Christ to Our City. And each week over the course of this series, we're looking at a distortion of the character of Christ, a common distortion in our culture today, and what it might look like to reclaim the truth of who God is and God's character uh, regarding that distortion. And so this morning, the distortion that we are going to be looking at is, believe it or not, this notion that is rampant in our culture, if we take the time to pay attention and to see it, that somehow God is unjust and unmerciful. And the truth that me and Moses will be trying to reclaim, if you will, this morning, is that indeed God is both just and merciful, he is in fact the perfect blend of justice and mercy. 
And so that's what we're tasked with doing this morning. But before we look more deeply into the scripture, would you pray for us, Moses? Sure. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for wonderful and beautiful day, Lord, that you've given us. We pray, Father, that uh, we'll rejoice in it. We pray, King of glory, that even as we get into your word, that will transform our lives. And Father, may it bring you glory. It's in Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Moses. Amen. And so we heard it read just a few moments ago, this text that might be familiar <laughs> to many of you. And I want to read for us again, uh, just the final verse there, Micah 6, uh, Verse 8 says this, He has shown you, immortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was an early believer, I was desperate to find out, like, okay, if I believe in this whole Jesus thing, like, what am I supposed to do? And uh, the verse that a lot of pastors would point me to was this one. And at, initially, at first pass, it seemed easy enough, Right? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. But if you take even five seconds and ponder any one of those elements, the reality is not even one of those things is simple, right? And so this morning what we want to do is we want to look at each of those three areas a little bit more deeply. First, this idea that we are to do justice, and you can follow along in your bulletin, the points are there for you. The second, what does it mean to love mercy? And then thirdly, what we are going to propose this morning is that the way in which we do justice and we love mercy is by walking humbly with our God. And so we learned last week by way of summary that indeed it's not easy to understand the justice of God and the mercy of God. In fact, it can be so difficult that even in ancient Hebrew tradition, they separated the two. They had two different names for God associated with each of those attributes. Hashem, meaning uh, God of compassion, and Elohim, meaning the God of justice. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that tradition struggled in such a way that they had to give two unique names for God because the reality is we see ourselves doing this in many different ways today. So the challenge for us this morning is going to be to try to wrestle with the idea of what would it look like to hold these two together. There's an author by the name of uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs who wrote a book, Not in God's Name, and he writes this regarding this issue. A judge punishes, a parent forgives. A judge enforces the law, a parent embodies love. God is both, but it is hard to think of both at the same time. And Sachs goes on to describe that in response to this challenge of understanding these two as being one and the same, there's been studies done on this. Literally, the human psyche can't handle it and gives way into what Sachs calls dualistic thinking. That in response to the complexity of what it would look like for justice and mercy to operate intrinsically with one, one with the other, we, we just can't do it. And so we parse the two out. And this dualistic thinking we see throughout the course of history and even in our world today has been, at its root, the cause of many of the injustices that we see in the world around us. It's allowed us to so otherize that we can completely uh, judge and exercise justice without mercy. And that is what we saw, in part, in the Rwandan genocide. 
And so uh, we're grateful to have Moses with us to share with us a little bit more deeply and help reframe this idea of first, what is biblical justice? And from there, we'll look at mercy and how we hold these together. So Moses, can you talk to us a little bit from your perspective? What is biblical justice? Yeah. Thank you, uh, Nathan, for that uh, great uh, introduction. Uh, Biblical justice, I think, is not only about uh, more local or global mission social programs or more food and shelter uh, projects, but it's actually more about restoring relationships between us and God, relationship between us and our neighbors, relationship with our creation, but also with self. It's also, I think, about um, seeing people the way Christ sees them and teaching them all that Christ commanded us to teach them with the same attitude that Christ had towards um, his people. But why is this even such an important uh, subject today? I think we live in such a broken world. Um, And it is very clear in the media, in the papers, in the journals that... uh, People are living in a time where they need peace, they need justice. Everyone is crying for help. When you look around, there is an unequal distribution of wealth. Um, Actually, um, one statistic showed that 300 people own the wealth that could be equal to to 3 billion people. It's owned by 300 uh, people, people that could fit in one of the planes that I used coming on that wealth. When you look at uh, malaria, we still have children and people that are dying of malaria. Fortunately, I didn't use a mosquito net where I'm staying. That tells you that some of these problems can be dealt with and be eliminated, but they're still killing uh, many people. Issues of malnutrition. In my um, country where I come, we have almost 40 children of, uh, 40% of our children under five years are still struggling with malnutrition and have no opportunity to have a balanced meal. And I think that is not true and that should not be acceptable because every child desires and needs a balanced meal. So we have all these sorts of uh, injustices that uh, we see uh, all over the world. But even in this city of Seattle, when Nathan was uh, driving me back from the airport to here, I did see many homeless people on the streets. And I think it is not right that in such had weather conditions that we can have brothers and sisters, people in the image of God, spending nights on the street. It is not right. And I think it is our call as followers of Christ to see what can we collaboratively uh, do uh, to contribute in eliminating uh, this kind uh, of pain. God is deeply concerned about these issues and uh, he has uh, created us in his image He has given us the assignment to be his ambassadors here on earth, and he is requiring us to act justly. And that's not um, an option. It is a command that he requires us to do, and we just have to be obedient enough and see, God, how can we uh, be part of the work that you want us to do uh, in this world? Uh, When you start engaging into uh, the work of serving the most vulnerable people, it's not an easy assignment. It is a tough uh, call. And uh, more is remembered of the cartoon that I read. Uh, it said, uh, sometimes I feel like getting a hug from somebody and tells me, Moses, I understand you. 
it is going to be okay. I understand completely the pain that you're seeing out here, but here's a cup of coffee and $2 million. And everyone would appreciate having a cup of coffee and $2 million and a hug, but unfortunately, it's not going to be possible for all the broken people in the world. So we have to find other ways. What is God really uh, requiring us uh, to do? But there are two great uh, examples we can um, get from the Bible, and one of them is Nehemiah. When Nehemiah had the bad news of what was happening in Jerusalem, how the walls had been broken down, the first thing that Nehemiah did was to pray. Nehemiah 1.4 says, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, my brothers and sisters, I don't know what happens to you when you see all these issues around the community. I don't know if it breaks your heart to see that some children are struggling to get a place to call home, that people are struggling to find a place that is warm enough where they can have some sleep, where people are struggling to get tuition to go to school. It's not acceptable. Now, God has given us all sorts of gifts, you may not be able to do and contribute in all these issues, but I believe the more you commune with God in prayer, the more he's going to guide you on what to do. It may not be a lot. It may just be to pray for these people. It may be just to visit and give a word of encouragement because that in itself is a big push to the next step of life. So I believe we can all do something this assignment is not only for the few people that have gone to Fuller Seminary that have done all this kind of education. Everyone in the image of God, irrespective of your training, you can do something in addressing the injustices that we see uh, in this world. Now, Brother uh, Nathan, can you read for us John chapter 8, uh, verse 1 to 11? I can. It says this, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground at this point, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. I think another key lesson we get from this portion of Scripture is that we don't need to condemn people we need to empathize with them. Because at times when we see the vulnerable people in the streets, uh, in the detention centers, at times say that was their choice. Uh, I remember when we uh, were working with the HIV AIDS uh, pandemic uh, in my country, there was lots of stigma, even from believers. We thought everyone who has HIV AIDS, they deserve the consequences 
of that choice. But we realize that actually some people are just victims. You can't get HIV through an accident, blood transfusion, without necessarily being uh, in the act of um, adultery or any other way. And there was lots of stigma and judgment. You can see people uh, on the street and like, that's their choice. They never worked hard. But you should know, what did they go through? And if they even did, what can I do to take them out of that pit and give them a chance to uh, enjoy uh, a better life? So at times, we are very good at condemning other people. And I think um, God requires us as we move forward to empathize with those that are hurting and see what can we do uh, to make their lives better. But the surprising thing, even in this scripture, verse 5 in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They're asking Christ. But in the Old Testament, when you look at Leviticus 20.10, if a man committed adultery with another man's wife, the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Now the question is, why would they bring only the woman and leave the man? Yet she didn't commit this act by herself. That in itself is a source, it's an injustice. Now they're bringing her to Christ to judge. And yet these are the experts of the law, the Pharisees. They knew what they were doing. They knew all this law, but they tried to find ways, shortcuts, to really trap Christ, and they were committing actually more harm um, than good. But the other thing that is very encouraging in this portion, that what was Christ's uh, reaction he used the same law because he knew what the practices were. And uh, the law required a priest to administer a justice in a case of adultery. The priest would bend down, gather dust from the floor, and determine the consequences for the sin. In a like manner, Jesus bends down and writes in the dust according to the law. We don't know what he wrote, but we know the reaction. All people were guilty, and so no one could throw a stone. And I love verse uh, 10 to 11. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and live your life of sin. And this is good news to all of us. We've all done wrong. But because of his love and his uh, desire to do justice, he said, I don't condemn you. And I would encourage each one of us that before we condemn people for the situations they are in, that we first empathize with them and then uh, see what we can do uh, in helping them. And I think it's not until we sit where people sit, walk where they walk, until we get into their shoes. We cannot be effective uh, burden bearers. And this is everyone's uh, role. Now, all these issues at times can sound so big, and you're like, where do I address? How do I start to address the issue of homelessness, orphans, uh, issues of poverty, issues of uh, malaria? I think we can all contribute if we all, in a concerted way, did put our efforts together and the gifts that God has given us. I think we can start to drive darkness backward. Now, we all have gifts. We have time, we have money. And as I was sharing earlier, you can use your time and visit the people who are struggling at the hospital. 
You can use your skills. You can even just advocate for them. That in itself is a huge push to advocate for the most uh, vulnerable. Um, and I think the greatest way is to show your gratitude to God is to go and be a blessing uh, to someone and get out of your comfort zone and get on the streets and get into these houses where they're living and see what do they go through. Because that's what Christ really demonstrated to us. He left his comfort in heaven and he came to be with us here in this world. Nehemiah had to leave the palace and go to fight and get ridiculed uh, in Jerusalem. So it's going to require us to really to shift from our areas of comfort and walk the streets, get into the villages, get into the huts, and share life uh, together with the vulnerable people. And if we don't do anything, and if you're not careful enough, the speed of injustice that we see today and the way it's growing, if it continues like this, it will and we don't double our efforts in um, counterfeiting it, it's going to overtake us, and we're all going to be affected. Because if the speed of injustice around us is faster than the speed we are acting on, it's not going to take long for all of us to be victims. And I think we need to do something in stopping it. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Moses. And we were discussing this earlier, and he shared with me, in Rwanda, this is pretty practical. If HIV AIDS or something like malaria gets out of hand, you know, HIV AIDS doesn't just come for the Pentecostals or for the Baptists or for the Muslims. It comes for everyone. Mm -hmm. And the same is true with malaria. And so Moses asked me, he said, you know, Nathan, what about in Seattle? What kind of injustices do you see? And, and what kind of consequences of those injustices do you see? And it challenged me to think about how seriously do we take this notion of fighting harder and faster against injustice in such a way that it won't outrun us. And while we don't have malaria or something of that nature here, we're faced with all kinds of injustices. And later in a time of response, uh, we are going to have the opportunity to come and look at a few different poster boards you see on either side here. And these highlight just four areas of injustice mm. uh, that we are really seeking to address as a church and, and understand more deeply. That includes foster and adoption, the issues surrounding uh, the foster care system here in the city. It includes refugees and asylees uh, new to our area or, or lack thereof. It includes issues of race and justice and reconciliation. And then finally, it includes homelessness, as we've heard Moses talk a bit about already, something that's really impressed upon him, even just in driving around the short hours that um, he's been in the city. And so I want to share with you just a few figures that you'll see represented on these boards later um, that highlights the pace at which injustice is taking a hold, even in our city. Things like this. Currently, there's 68.5 million people forcibly displaced worldwide, 28.5 million of which will be granted refugee status, roughly half. And of that, about 30 million people, less than 1% will ever be resettled to another country, like the United States. But they'll remain in refugee camps and things like that around the world. Currently in Seattle, there's an estimated more than 12,500 people experiencing homelessness, and that's a 4% increase just over last year. 
In 2014, Seattle recorded three times the number of drug overdoses, which is up uh, three times the number in, in 2009, so just in a five-year span. Now, the reality is, for all of us, these injustices are happening. The world will happen in which, in, in the manner in which it will, it will take shape, and we get to decide if we want to uh, be the fork in the road, so to speak, or, or to, to pivot the otherwise uh, negative trajectory towards any one of these areas of injustice. So thank you, Moses, for the encouragement it's been to reflect on that. And I understand that there's an African proverb that may speak to this as well. Yeah, uh, there is an African uh, proverb that says, the rich are not asleep and the poor are as well awake. And really, the, the, which literally means that the rich are not sleeping because they want to protect what the poor could take. And the poor are also awake, they're waiting for the rich to sleep. So both of them are actually losing in the end. So, and this is going to require to see how do we collaboratively solve these issues, the rich and the poor. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Moses. And a challenge that we face as we consider this idea of justice, and we're pivoting now to our second point for this morning, which is looking more deeply at the nature of mercy and what it is to love mercy. A challenge that we face is thinking, you know, okay, we as Christians, we try to be good people. We know we're sinners. We know we make mistakes. But at the end of the day, you know, we're seeking to love God, to love those around us as much as we can. And yet, in the midst of that, we see people who are unbelievers or really having no regard for others around them or any justice for that matter. And they just keep getting more, quote, blessings, more money, more Mm. opportunities. How is that just? And the truth is, whether it's you as an individual that may have felt that at some point, I know I have, or, you know, even a larger scale than that, Christians in the world are by and large one of the most persecuted people groups in the history of the world. And this was true in Rwanda. At the time of the genocide, 94% of the country was Christian. And so you can imagine, people were asking the question, how in the world does such atrocious evil come about for a country that's 94% Christian? So Moses, how has the Rwandan people tried to understand this? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the answer lies in both um, our greatest blessing, but also our greatest curse, which is the capacity that God gave us to make choices. That, uh, that capacity that God gave us differentiates us from being animals. And so during that time, we had the capacity to make the right choice of loving your neighbor as you love yourself, or look at them as... Uh, a cockroach as an animal is something that is worth to be killed. And that's the decision uh, that uh, we did make. So I think that is uh, where the, uh, the challenge is that humanity uh, continues to make uh, the wrong choices. But also the Rwandans, because um, we see these questions all the time, what happened? And the uh, Rwandans have a saying that God spends the day elsewhere, but always comes home to spend the night in the Rwanda. And then during this uh, time of the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi, people questioned if this God was really uh, in Rwanda. Where was God? 
And it's a common question to, even today, when people visit and they see the genocide memorials in every district on church buildings, they still ask this question that um, we completely believe that God was with us, even in the hardest pit the nation went to. But he was hurting. People had turned away from him and was grieving and hurting with those uh, that were hurting. Uh, I remember the situation uh, globally. It was people had described the nation as a really failed state. There are all sorts of advices. Get this country divided in two lands, the Hutu land, the Tutsi land, all. Make it uh, part of another country and forget about uh, uh, Rwanda. The Time magazine uh, in itself on the cover page said uh, in May 1994, that uh, it read, there are no devils left in hell. One missionary said, they are all in Rwanda. And that was the description of this state. But when you see what God has done today, I think no one can take credit for that. It has been God rebuilding and using his people for Rwanda to be what it is today. And glad I can be mm. part of uh, that uh, work that is happening in the nation. And uh, we can't do this, of course, without the partnership of great people like Bethany Community Church. Yeah. Thank you, Moses, for sharing so transparently about that. And mm. we know that Rwandans, North Americans, are not the only people that ask this question. And, and really, if you boil it down, said more simply, it's how is it that with a just God, good things can happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people all the time? And we see in the scriptures that they asked and wrestled with this very same question. And so the psalmist in Psalm 73 points to this. Uh, Moses, would you read the first five verses of that psalm? Yeah, thank you. Psalm 73, truly God is good to the upright, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pain. Their bodies are sound and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not plagued like other people. Thank you, Moses. And so what we see here is this notion that, yes, it's true. There's injustice all around us. There's injustice uh, beyond what many of us in this room, uh, maybe with the exception of one person, can really understand, like what we saw in Rwanda but that God is present even in the midst of that. And that's where we're going to see the, the turn that the psalmist makes. Mm -hmm. And so the, the beautiful thing that I think that we can learn from you, Moses, and from your people in Rwanda is that indeed uh, Christians are not exempt from suffering. Mm -hmm. And as Moses said uh, so vulnerably, while being Christian, the Rwandan people, unfortunately, uh, had gone astray in their understanding of God, and, and their understanding of God led them in such a way to think that they could um, so otherize another people group that they would even uh, seek to destroy them. And that same truth is true for us here, that as we uh, misperceive the character of God, as we uh, fall into this dualistic thinking that somehow God is all justice with no mercy, that we become people who uh, are divisive mm. rather than unifying. And so uh, the beauty is, though, that to understand God's justice, we must understand more deeply this notion of his profound mercy and the compassion of Christ. And only then can our understanding of justice come into focus more clearly. 
And so in Psalm 73, it goes on to say this, beginning in verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, how to understand this question of how good can happen to evildoers and vice versa, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. When my soul was embittered, I was stupid and ignorant. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will receive me with honor. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire other than you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So you see that in God's mercy, he desires to bring all of us, all of his creation back to him which at times may mean Christians or simply just good people, humble people, uh, suffering the consequences of others' wrongdoing or suffering the consequences of our fallen world. But the good news for all people, Christians and non-Christians alike, is that God is indeed merciful, that God is both Elohim and Hashem together, God of justice and a God of compassion. And that the end of our sin, or the end of any one of our story, is not death, but it's life in Christ. And so, the promise of God to us, his people, is that in the midst of whatever it is that we experience, whatever may befall us, God is there, guiding us with his counsel, receiving us with honor, and strengthening our hearts. Amen? Amen. And this, I think, is the beauty of the cross. On the cross, we see the perfect combination of God's heart of compassion and justice on display in the person of Jesus. Jesus displays God's heart, first and foremost, of compassion to come and to experience suffering with us. That is what compassion means after all, to suffer with. And justice, that in such a way, Christ would defeat sin, the consequences of death, that by no law should any one of us ever experience death to have, or sin to have the final word. This is the beautiful love of mercy on display in the person of Christ. And so when we com- consider this commandment in Micah 6, to love mercy and to do justice, and how we're supposed to hold these seemingly two separate virtues together, Thankfully, we are given an example in the person of Jesus. Mm. I mentioned earlier how incredibly complex this idea of doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with our God can be. And that when we really dive into it, we can be left more confused than at the outset when we said, gee, pastor, give me a verse that I can hold on to so I can know what I'm supposed to do with this whole Christian life thing. But the beauty is that in the midst of that complexity, I'm going to sort of flip that again on its head. I think the beauty is that it really is as simple as going on a walk with Jesus. God says to us, come, go on a walk with me. Let me teach you. Let me be the example for you of justice and mercy operating inextricably one from the other, so intertwined that in fact they are one. Come on a walk with me. Let me show you what that's about. Moses, would you share just a little bit from your own life about what it's meant to go on this walk with Christ? Hmm. Uh, I think walking with Christ um, requires to listen and be where Christ is, and that is in his word. 
and learning from what he did and his actions. And I think one of the examples that uh, speaks uh, on walking humbly is when Christ washed the feet of his uh, disciples. And uh, he knew very well that in the disciples' feet he was about to wash. There was also Judah who was, able, who was soon going to uh, betray him, but he didn't leave him out. He washed his feet. And uh, I think it would have been very difficult for me to wash. Can't imagine getting on the toes of Judah and not doing anything like plucking me when I know he's really going to. <laughs> but graciously, he did like he did for the others. He didn't have any discrimination because of your act. And I think we should learn that walking humbly requires us really to serve all people, irrespective of uh, their race, irrespective of their economic status, irrespective of their education, that we are called to serve all equally. And um, he had to hold that dirty towel and clean the feet of uh, everyone. And uh, I think God has all given us an opportunity to have a towel. And the question is, how dirty is your towel today? Because we all have a towel and we are called to go to do some work. So it's a question that we should be asking ourselves, how dirty is, is it? Mm. Thank you, Moses. And as we prepare now for a time of response, would you just thank Moses with me for sharing his wisdom with us? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And at this time, uh, we are going to respond. And I'd like to guide us through a little bit of how we can do that. As you walked in, you received a colored note card. And you'll see that up here are those four posters I referenced earlier. And uh, they point to just four of the many different injustices that are happening in our local context and ways in which we as a church are trying to understand them better and to come alongside mm -hmm. and to be both justice and mercy in those places. And so the invitation for all of us this morning is to uh, reflect for a moment and ask the question, let's dream together about what love and justice would look like in the midst of those injustices. And then, when you've finished your card, you can go up and you can um, stick it. There's thumbtacks and little bowls there for you and stick it to the board there. A while back, a guy by the name of Richard Dahlstrom, maybe some of you know him, uh, he wrote a book called Colors of Hope. And the premise of this book is that, in fact, we are called to be the colors of hope in the world. Mm -hmm. And so these black and white boards um, highlighting these injustices, we are going to dream a bit together about what hope through both an embodiment of justice and mercy might look like, and we're gonna, we're gonna fill these, these boards with the colors of hope. Um, the reality is that Christ has given all of us an invitation to go on a walk with him, and would just like to acknowledge that that starts with a decision in and of yourself. And in our own hearts, there is injustices of all kinds. And so if you, for you, you're just locating that there is a disconnect between who you are and the person that you think God may have created you to be, uh, please come forward and seek prayer. We have prayer ministers with us who are going to be up here this morning. Their names are Charity and Dick, and they would love to connect with you in that way. And then would invite the rest of you as well to consider which of these areas of injustice might God be drawing you to to articulate what love and mercy could look like in that place and consider them to be prayer stations. Take a moment, read the text that's there, and then pin your card. Mm -hmm. And together, um, let us be hope uh, to one another this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift that it is to be your children. We thank you, Lord, that you came to reconcile what has gone wrong in each of our hearts, individually, God. You, you left the 99 to come back for the one. 
Lord, each one of us are that one. Come back for us now, we pray. Draw us unto you, Lord. Bring us on a walk with you that we might learn what it is to be people of both justice and mercy operating alongside one another. Lord, that we could redefine the misinterpreted, misrepresented portrait of who you are in this world, that, Lord, we would step into the places of even the most brokenness, that we would be your face. God, I confess that I think it's just simply a bad plan that we would be the ones in which you would desire, through which you desire to redeem the world. And yet that is your plan. So God, may your spirit fill us, we pray, that we would be your hope, your face in this world. It's towards that end that we pray. Bless our time in worship now. In your name, amen. Amen.